Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Hi guys. It's good to see you in actual personhood. This is lovely. Oh. Um, well, uh, it's been kind of a weird three months, would you say? Little, little, little strange in about forty-five different ways. Um, I, I really have a very short message uh, for you guys today, which I'm sure some of you in the sun are very relieved to hear. Um, I, um, I just really have a couple things to to share. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll start by kind of talking about what what started this message for me, and then we'll, we'll go from there just to kind of frame where we're going. Um, so that that Friday night when the um, the uh, first uh, riot started happening in Atlanta, I was um, I was heading on vacation that weekend, and so even when I'm at home, I don't really keep super moment to moment track with the news, which is probably a bad habit or a good habit depending on who you talk to. Um, and so I didn't really know what was going on at that point, and hadn't looked at it that whole Friday. And then um, I went to bed that night, and um, I had a dream. Now, um, I know, like, you know, you get Lindy up here, and she has, like, amazing, incredible prophetic dreams, like, every night and every other week. I, I have a dream that I remember, like, maybe once a year, sometimes twice a year. Anyone else like that? Like, maybe one or two dreams a year. All the dream people tell me that I dream every night all the time, but I just only remember those one or two. Well, this was one of those nights when I had one that I remembered. And the first part of this dream, I'm going to share the rest of it near the end, but the first part of this dream was me and my son, Hayden, and we were in Atlanta, and we were running away from a riot. And when I woke up the next morning and was suddenly compelled to look at the news, I, I first thought in my head was, I need to look at what's in the news. I looked at what was in the news, and I saw about everything that had happened with, with George Floyd. I saw everything that had happened with the protest, and I saw that there had been this rioting in various cities, which... Um, made me sit down and say, I need to write this dream down. Um, now, before I get into what this dream was, I, um, I, I first wanted to share a couple things, and, and most of this, honestly, is just really retouching on the incredible message that Jen gave last week. Um, let's give her a hand. Oh, my goodness. I listened to it three times, and I'm not ashamed to admit I cried most of the time because it was just beautiful, just a, a beautiful communication of heart. And maybe this doesn't mean, uh, 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 this part maybe doesn't mean as much uh, to, to some of you, but uh, that whole time we were preaching uh, via, via, exclusively via video, there's like two people in the room, and they're busy like doing work, like running cameras and stuff like that, so they're not like yay and amen to you or anything because they got a job to do. So not only was that an incredible message in and of itself, it was incredibly given with so much heart without, with probably almost no response whatsoever in person. So that was just awesome. Um, and so again, I want, I want to re- reiterate some of the things that, that Jen did say, which is that first of all, w- without re- restraint, uh, racism has absolutely no part in the kingdom of God. It is, it is antithetical to, to, to God's kingdom. It is, it is an opposite spirit to, to everything that Jesus represented, everything that the kingdom of God represents. And I would personally go so far as to say as it is, it is any form of it and any level of society, be it the teeniest, tiniest little thing to, to the biggest, is also not part of the kingdom of God and is something that 
we should all together be ruthlessly eliminating from from society in a good way. Um, and so, um, and I, I, I want to just again reiterate that that this is not. And Jen said this, and she said it so well that. Um, looking for equality in the way that people are treated, looking to heal the wounds of, of racism, of racial inequality, and, and any version of that is not a, a, a side objective to the main objective of the gospel. It is part of the same central ob objective. And so I, I, I want to, um, w one of the things that I was very nervous about going into this season is a small side thing, we'll get to some of why later, is the last thing I want is just to respond to some really horrible things that happen because I, I want the, the re release of this kind of freedom, the release of equality, the release of healing to be a lifelong journey. That's not something that just we respond to in a moment. That's, that is a lifestyle that I want to be created in every single disciple of Christ because that's what Jesus did. And, and I want to point out, just to make extra clear, that this is something that Jesus was about. So if, if you would, open your, open your Bibles. I'm going to open my digital Bible. Um, to Luke 10. Luke 10. Um, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This, this little um, exchange happens a couple times in, in the Bible um, in different forms. But this one is uh, pertinent, we'll say. So we're at Luke 10. Uh, we're going to go with verse 25. So I'm just going to go ahead and read through this. This is probably a, a bit of scripture that's very familiar to you. I'm just going to read the introduction here, and then we'll dive in. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, this is Jesus responding, verse 26. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Um, now from here, Jesus goes into a very familiar parable. We probably, this is probably one of those ones you hear your second day in Sunday school when you're a little kid. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm just going to summarize it. You can read it in detail later if you would like. But a man's going down on the road towards Jerusalem, gets attacked by robbers, beaten up, left by, left on the roadside. One group comes by, doesn't help him. Another group comes by, doesn't help him. And this Samaritan comes by, helps him, and helps him all the way. Helps him get to this place, pays for his stay, pays for his recovery. And um, it's, you know, it's this great story of kindness to others, right? Um, so we get to the very end of the story, verse 36. Jesus has told this story, um, and he says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, I love that Jesus asked this question. and Because if you go back to the beginning, the, the discussion they're having, to me at least, seems to be framed around like, what do I got? What, what are the requirements to get into heaven? Like, what is? How much do I have to do? How much is is you know enough to to accomplish the the stuff? And you know, uh, you know, love the Lord God with all heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, that's right. And the guy says, you know, um, but but who is my neighbor really? You know, how many how many neighbors do I have to love? Is that like a ten foot radius thing? You know, what is it, who, who is my neighbor? Is that just the neighbor on the right and the left of my house? Is that the neighbor across the street? You know, where's the line again is what he's looking for. Now, now the question 
that Jesus, um, the, the, the way that Jesus frames this story is not in drawing lines of because that person walked by him, that means he was his neighbor. His question is, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. This guy was asking a question about what are the requirements? How do I check this off my list? And again, he was trying to justify himself. How do I you know, get justified? And Jesus talked about choosing to be something. Choosing to be a neighbor. Now, Jesus was a pretty smart guy. Yeah? I think so. Um, the, the person that he has come at the end of the story who decides to be a neighbor is a Samaritan. Now, uh, again, if you've been in church a little while, you might be familiar with what, uh, what a Samaritan was. But um, the, the Samaritans, uh, I don't have time to go into all the history behind it. It's interesting and complicated if you want to read about it. But... Um, the, the Samaritans were basically the uh, racial enemies and political enemies and religious enemies of the Jewish people at the time. They were despised by Jewish people. It was even said that some Pharisees would refuse to stay at a hotel that a Samaritan had stayed at just in case there was a risk that they would accidentally eat on the same plate that a Samaritan had touched. There was deep racial hatred, deep political hatred, deep religious hatred. Um, again, the, uh, as a really, really, really brief oversight on this, and there's some debate about how uh, all, all this exactly shook out, but basically, this was a group of Jews who had in, uh, intermarried with the Assyrians when they had taken over uh, Israel. They formed a little bit of a different sect of Juda Judaism, and they had tried try to get uh, political power over the temple at certain points in history. So again, there was political disconnect, religious disconnect, and racial disconnect, and Again, a, a good-standing Jew would not get close to, touch, speak to, or interact with a Samaritan whatsoever. I'm pointing this out because it's important to... Uh, we don't have the historical goggles to be able to emotionally experience what it would feel like for Jesus to select this story. But I would like to suggest that what the experience would have been for people at the time is that this would be Jesus directly addressing racial injustice and racial division of his day, directly choosing to use terminology and a situation and a story that would be offensive to people at the time to get at his point of what he was trying to conquer in his time here on earth. Does that make sense? My point being, Jesus was all about this. <laughs> and... The other point that I want to make is there's another story um, in, in uh, John 4. We don't need to turn there, but it's a good one to read and reread because it's another awesome story. Uh, Jesus uh, meets a woman at a well in John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman. And he meets with her, talks with her, tells her everything there is to know about her life, and reveals that he's the Messiah to her. And she goes and uh, leads a bunch of her fellow Samaritans to the Lord. Once again, Jesus is crossing really intense racial boundaries. Jews would literally take the longest road to get around Samaria to, to avoid having to walk through this area when they were traveling to different areas. So um, Jesus not only chose to walk through, he chose to stop and engage and minister with this woman, both the way that Jesus taught and his actions 
followed this same goal. Does that make sense? Does it make sense to Jen? Does that make sense <laughs> to everyone else? Okay, great, thank you. We're live now, you don't have to sit quietly in your house, it's okay, I can hear you this time. I can hear you now, it's, it's great, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> so, all I'm saying with all of that is, is this was in the, at the very center of Jesus' mission while he was here on earth. Race, the, the, the coming against racial division, racial inequality, he attacked it, he kicked it over like it was something the enemy built on his land. <laughs> Does that make sense? You feel good about that? <laughs> good. <laughs> um, so I had this dream. Um, so in this dream, I was uh, in Atlanta somewhere, and I was running around, and it was just me and my oldest son, Hayden. I was holding his hand, and I was running around, and I was panicked, and I couldn't, couldn't figure out where to go, couldn't figure out what to do. Uh, should I go this way, should I go that way? And I had, I had this feeling of danger, and then I realized, like, oh, there's, there's riots going on. I need to figure out where to go and how to, how to just get out of this. My whole thing was just, I just need to get out of here. I just need to get out of this. And I look around, and there's other dads and other sons. It's, it's a dad and a son, a dad and a son all over around me, and they're all kind of doing the same thing. They're, they're running around, they're trying to figure out where to go, what to do, what's, you know, what's, what's going on. And, um, and I, as I, 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 I'm panicked, so I'm not really paying a lot of attention, but I slowly realize, like, oh, man, there's, there's a, a black dad and his black son. There's an Asian dad and his Asian son. And all of these different races were represented by all these dads that were running around trying to just figure out where to go. And as I'm running around, I, I turn and I look and I see up a hill, and I, at the top of the hill, I see Jesus standing there. And I think, that's probably a good place to go. And so I just run, run towards Jesus. Now, uh, in different visions or experiences or dreams that I've had, I've seen Jesus a lot of different ways. Sometimes when I have, have had visions of Jesus, he, he looks much how I imagine he would look in, how, or rather how he looked in, in uh, while he was here on earth. He looked like, looks like a Jewish man wearing, you know, the normal clothing of his day. Um, other times I can see him, um, and he looks more like this. Um, and so as I walked up to Jesus, he was he was at least 10 feet tall. He was wearing these beautiful, uh, just purple and, and gold robes, and they were just covered in jewels. He um, was uh, just surrounded by this this kind of a golden fire, and he was wearing a crown on his head. He was he was every bit the the King Jesus that we that we sing to. And as I as I walk up, I see him standing on this hill, and he's overlooking uh, a city. And I I realize as I as I kind of crest up this hill that I'm looking down at the city of Atlanta. And me and these other dads kind of have all run towards Jesus, and they're standing standing around him. And I look down at the city of Atlanta, and I see this huge red thing in the middle of the city. In fact, it's taking up like uh, 50, 60 percent of the city, this big red thing. And at first, I can't quite see what it is, just this big red blob. And as I stop and I look, I realize it's, and I, I kind of register what I'm looking at, I realize it's this, it's this massive, huge, gaping open wound. It's this big wound that's just bleeding out. And so I kind of take a moment to register. I'm like catching my breath and I look up at Jesus and I say, 
what's happening? And he pauses for a moment. His eyes don't leave the, the city. He's looking at the city. And he pauses for a moment and he says, my city is bleeding. And I, 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 it's hard for me to say what he said the way that he said it because there was so much ownership and responsibility in the way that he said, my city. It was a, a sense of responsibility of like, like, like a father speaking of a son that's her. And it reminds me of, of moments in my own life when I have um, been maybe struggling with, with my kids or like how, to, how to raise them or how to, how to be the best dad to them. And I have these moments where the Lord reminds me, hey, they were my kids before they were your kids. And I feel like I'm able to align myself with him in a different way when I, when I step into that reality. It was the same sort of tone of him speaking in such a way that this was my city before it was your city. And just the responsibility and ownership that he had for it. And so I'm looking down at this wound and I'm feeling the pain in his voice. I'm feeling the pain of looking at this, but I, I f I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, this thing is huge. It's this huge open wound. How can we even, I, I cannot even imagine anything that would help. I can't imagine anything that would, that would make this better, that would, that, would, that would fix this. And so I, I turned to him and I said, um, who's going to heal this? And, he's, and again, with that same ownership in his voice, Jesus said, I am going to heal it. But then for the first time, he turned and he looked at me. But he looked at me and he looked at every person there at the exact same time. And he said, I'm going to send you to do it. And he wasn't saying you as in me, Blake Healy, in southern parlance, he was saying more of a you all uh, sort of you. And... The first emotion that I felt was one of fear, was this is so big, I have no idea even where to start. I, I literally had this thing pop in my mind of like, maybe I could try to start sewing it up, but even the idea of trying to sew, even start a corner on a wound that was that big was, I, I didn't even know how to, how to do it. And I, so I'm, I'm trying in my mind in this dream to, to figure out what needs to happen, and I, and so I say, you know, how, how is this possible? Like, how are we going to get anything done? Like, how, how long is this going to take? What, it's going to ta what is this going to take? And again, he looked at me and he said, it's going to take a generation that is dedicated to a lifetime of healing. It's going to take a generation that is dedicated to a lifetime of healing. And then some words popped out of my mouth, and I, I didn't really think this. It's just what came out of my mouth. Again, still feeling this, this fear, feeling this, this terror. And I, I, I said, well, what if, what if I don't? What if I can't? <laughs> and then Jesus pointed at my son and said, then he will. <laughs> then he will. <laughs> And I could feel the weight of the, of the burden that I would be placing on my son and his generation. And I could feel the pain 
of choosing not to lighten that load in my lifetime and just pass it on to him. And so I looked at Jesus and I said, I don't know what to do. Please tell me what to do. And he said, follow me. And he took off his robe that was covered in jewels and purple and beautiful. And he set it on the side. And underneath he had these simple carpenter's clothes. <laughs> he rolled up his sleeves. And he kept his crown on his head. But he walked straight into that wound. Walked right through the, the blood. Walked right through the pus. Walked right through the pain. And walked right into the very center of this wound. And I woke up. And again, I had no idea what was going on. I woke up and looked at the news and saw everything that had happened and saw about the riots. And I want to take just a moment to t uh, kind of frame some of this this part as well. I've I've had a what I understand for, for people my age group and, uh, you know, young white men in the 30, 30 to 35-ish range um, is a very common experience with the idea of racism where until my late teens, I, didn't I, did, I thought that racism was a thing of the past. I, I you know, and, and out of my ignorance and naivety, I thought this was, you know, my impression of racism was, oh, yeah, that's something that bad guys do in old movies. You know, that was that was my perception. It's like, oh, this is what the bad guys do in old movies. It wasn't until my late teens, as my as my uh, experience, as I as my uh, friend groups began to to expand, as I began to hear about different experiences, that I began to discover, oh my goodness, this this is not something that's long dead. This is not something that has been sitting in. Uh, that is maybe there's occasional uh, bad apples here and there. No, this is something that is a normal experience. <laughs> for so many people. And I did what I do whenever I don't understand anything. I bought a lot of books um, and started reading about it to try to understand what was going on. And I read books from all kinds of different authors, black authors, white authors, all, all through to try to understand what's going on, what, what is this. And the more that I read, the more overwhelmed that I got. And it's just practically, over the years, it's off and on been a s subject of research and study for me just because it's every time I'd read about it I feel like the problem got bigger every time I'd hear someone else's experience I'd feel like the problem would get bigger and even in my own practical life even though I've always believed and felt that that racism is an absolute um uh, is the absolute antithesis of God's kingdom and that it was had no place whatsoever on a planet that God created then but I had again no idea how to fix it, how to address it, how to address the, the individual issues, the systematic issues, the, the, the social issues, the, the economic issues. There's so many places this problem is that figuring out how to be at all effective in, in releasing any of God's glory into it was overwhelming to the point of being paralyzing. 
But after I woke up from that dream, um, I realized what my problem was. <laughs> Which is usually my problem in some form. Uh, I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to come up with a solution. I was trying to, to understand. When what I should have been doing and am repenting towards doing from this point forward is following Jesus. <laughs> is following Jesus. Because there is no individual who has the answer to this problem. There is no political system that has the answer to this problem. There is no one who has the answer to this problem except for Jesus. Jesus was the solution to this. He was the redemption for this. He was the healing for this. He was the healing for every issue. But he was also the healer who was sent for this. I had to take my time on that vacation while I was spending some quiet time with, with the Lord and re repent for trying to figure this out on my own, for, to repent for trying to take the lead in something that I couldn't understand. And I want to invite all of you to do the same. I know that your approach is completely different, and I know that some of us are, have been, uh, all of our backgrounds are so completely different that I imagine every single one of us has a completely different background. However, we all have the same Jesus. We all have the same king, and our king is walking into the middle of this pain to release healing. I want to um, invite the band to, to come back up. We're going to, um, we're going to do a song one more time. But before we do, I want, you, I want you all to stand up where you are, if you would, please. It's, it's really easy. It's really easy to form ideas when you see a problem. It's really easy to form opinions when you see a problem of, oh, what if we just did this? Oh, what if this was the root of the problem? What if we fixed it like this? Oh, if, if, if these people would just do this, if the government would just do that, if this group would just do this. I'm not saying that change will not help, it will. But the answer always has been and always will be Jesus. And I want to remind all of us today that we are Christians. That word literally translates to little Christ. We, we are disciples of Jesus. We are students of Jesus. And I personally am, am taking a posture of setting down my opinions, my ideas, my solutions to what I think would help or fix or do anything, I'm laying those at Jesus' feet and saying, I will follow you. I will follow you. Because I trust you with a problem that's bigger than I can understand. I trust you with my pain. I trust you with my fear. I trust you with my inadequacy, with my inability to be effective, to... To, to understand something that's this big. 
So I'm just going to pray for you guys as the, as the band starts to, starts to play. I want you to just close your eyes and put your, put your hands out in front of you. Lord Jesus, today we just stand before you as your disciples. <laughs> we commit ourselves to learn from you. We say that we will go where you want to go. We will say what you want to say. And we will do what you want to do. We will follow you, Jesus. We will follow you. I just release a grace in this room right now. I release the voice of the Holy Spirit to invite us to shut down our own internal voice and make it, to make it get in alignment so that it can serve and follow Jesus. We just set our opinions down and we lay them at your feet and we say, Lord, show us where to go. Show us what to do. We're gonna do this one last song and I want you guys not just to sing this song, I want you to lead your heart towards Jesus. I want you to lead your heart towards your king. I want you to lead your mind, lead your heart, lead your soul, lead your spirit to follow his point. Align yourself with him and commit yourself to being his student, his disciple, a follower of Jesus. All right, let's just enter in together now. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.